This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5, if you would. Galatians chapter 5. Message that I hope will help you get your uh, 2023 off on the right foot. How many of you last night stayed up and rang in the new year and stayed up till at least 12.01? Raise your hand. How many of you were like, no way, I'm totally going to bed? My hand is up with you folks, right? Good. Um, and so... I had a feeling the 8 o'clock service would be fairly light this morning due to people maybe staying up late, uh, but here's what I found. The majority of people at the 8 o'clock service were just tardy today. You came anyways, and so good for you. Uh, you slept in a little bit. That's fine. You got stuck in traffic. I, I don't believe that, but uh, anyways, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to give you outs, uh, if you will. I'm thankful that you're here on the first Sunday of the new year. Uh, it, it probably took a lot of uh, difficulty to get out of bed, especially if the fireworks kept you up last night. And, and for those of you that this is your first uh, New Year's Eve in, in Hawaii, welcome to Hawaii, man. It's crazy. People say, I can't wait to see 4th of July. You'll be greatly disappointed <laughs> because there's not a lot going on on 4th of July. There's some, but nothing like what we had last night. And so um, thankful that you're here this morning. Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 13 uh, and read through the end of uh, the chapter. <coughs> We had the opportunity to preach through the book of Galatians several, a uh, couple of years ago, probably three, four years ago now, on Sunday nights, outstanding study of the Bible. But this, this passage, I believe, is really critical. Uh, if, you, if you miss this portion of Scripture and the application of the Christian life, uh, it's going to be a really rough go for you. And so I want to encourage you, uh, dig in deep as we look in this passage of Scripture this morning. Galatians chapter 5, uh, we're going to start in verse number 13. <laughs> For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, unto freedom. Use not this liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. Hey, you've been set free from the bondage of the law, and you have freedom in Jesus now. But don't use that freedom to sin. That would be terrible. Uh, We want to use that freedom to be able to love and serve other people. Verse number 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Verse number 16, you should circle, you should star, you should underline, you should commit this verse to memory. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Verses 22 and 23, circle, star, underline, highlight, commit to memory. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh 
with the affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. As we begin to look at a new calendar year, there's just something magical and special about uh, seeing that turn over to January 1st and the, all the hope that a new year brings. And You haven't late, made a lot of mistakes yet this year, hopefully. Uh, you haven't had a lot of time to do that. You had about eight and a half hours. Hopefully you haven't made any major mistakes so far this year. And just kind of like the feeling of a fresh start and a clean slate uh, is a good feeling. Uh, for me, uh, every year I try to set goals for the new year, things I want to see God accomplish in my life and things like that. And probably, I don't know, 10, 10 or 12 years ago, I got really big time into goal setting and planning and uh, things along those lines. And, uh, you know, they tell you to have smart goals, goals that are, uh, you know, uh, simple and manageable and actionable and time-oriented and all those things. And so I laid out goals that I had for my life uh, in my spiritual walk, uh, in my physical life, for my family. And I came up with a list of about 15 goals in each category. So I had like 45 goals for the year. And every single one of those goals, again, I was super detail-oriented. I broke up every single one of those goals into actionable item steps that I had to fulfill to accomplish these goals. And if you can imagine 45 goals with three action items each, it's like 150 things that I had to get done in a calendar year. And some of these weren't check off the list done. These were some of them recurring items that I had to do. And let me just tell you, I got to about the third week of January and I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I am drowning not in work, not in responsibilities. I'm drowning in my goals. And I thought, how is that even possible, right? And here's the idea. I bit off more than I can chew instead of just making things really, really simple. And so I want to encourage you this year, if you have New Year's resolutions, I'm not a fan of those because they usually last a couple of weeks. If you want to set some goals for 2023, I think that would be helpful for sure. But here's one resolution that I want to give every single person today, that if you will do this, your life will be changed for the better. And here it is, a single resolution for the new year is this, walk in the spirit. That's it. Walk in the spirit. <laughs> simple you can remember this you don't have to make a note of it somewhere or, and I, I forget what my resolution was this year I forget what my goal is I forget what I'm trying to accomplish walk in the spirit four words very simple to remember now when it comes to the execution of this goal that's where things get a little bit more sticky a little bit more difficult here 100% of your marital problems in life will be resolved if the two of you will walk in the Spirit. 100%. Now, imagine anything with a 100% effective rate, right? I mean, when the, uh, the first wave of the vaccines came out, this is 97% effective, this is 96% effective, and now I think some of the vaccines are down around 30% effective and things like that. It's just like, okay, wasn't what we thought it was going to be. That's fine. And so, but when we take a look at things like this is 100% effective 100% of the time, that should cause us to say, hey, let me see how that would work for me. Interpersonal conflict at work, workplace drama, walk in the spirit. It'll resolve it. Problems in your relationship with God, walk in the spirit. 
It'll resolve it. Frustration with the way that things are going in our nation today. Walk in the Spirit. It'll take care of it. That sin that you really just want to get past this year that's been hanging around your neck for way too long, how do we get rid of that? Same answer. Walk in the Spirit. Again, verse number 17 is just ridiculously clear. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So again, really simple, but many times can be difficult to execute. So let's break it down for us this morning and take a look at what that means for us. First of all, to walk in the Spirit, you have to possess the Holy Spirit. Now, not everyone is... No one is born with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we are born spiritually dead. And so if we can be spiritual people, first of all, we have to have a spirit that has the access to be able to connect with God on a spiritual level. So our spirit is born dead in sin. The book of Ephesians tells us that. That you and I are not born spiritually alive. We're born spiritually dead. Now, when we begin to describe us as beings, it's sometimes referred to as a trichotomy, and depending on who, uh, what theologians you read, it might be a, a dichotomy, but the idea of uh, us being a three-part being is that we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Body is our physical manifestation of who we are. Our soul is uh, our emotions, our personality, the things that make us uniquely us uh, would be our soul. And then we have our spirit, which is our direct connection to our creator, God, our Father. That third portion of us is born spiritually dead. And so before we are made alive spiritually, we're literally people who are fractional beings. We're only a part of who we were intended to be. If we only have a body and a soul, there's a part of us that's missing. And we live in a society today that tries to cram everything they can into that void, and they find that it cannot be filled. We stuff it with materialism or money or accolades or uh, popularity. We stuff it with, uh, you know, education and hobbies and things like that. But none of it seems to satisfy because there's a part of us that's missing Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 5 says, Even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together. That word quickened means made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And here's what he did. Those of us that were dead in our spirit, he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you and I were born dead because of our sin. Our sin kept us from having any type of connection with God on any type of spiritual level because our spirit was born dead. And the only way that our spirit could be made alive is through Jesus Christ. And so, again, the process of being saved, or stay with me for a second, being born again, taking that which was dead and making it alive is the only way that you and I can have a spiritual connection to our Creator and by nature, God becoming our Father. 
Only way that that could happen is that you and I could be saved because, again, we're born dead in our trespasses and sin. Because of our sin, we'll spend eternity separated from God, not just on this earth, but in all of eternity in a place called hell that burns with real fire for all of eternity. The Bible says this is the second death according to Revelation chapter 20. You and I deserve to die and go to hell because we've alienated ourselves from God and our sin has separated us from God. And because of that, our spirit is dead and our spirit will live on in eternal death unless it is made alive. And so our spirit is made alive the day that you accepted Christ as Savior, the day that you were born again, that you put your faith in God and repented of your sin and you were saved, your spirit became alive. And you now have a connection to your father that you've never had before. You now have a father that you never had before. And at that moment that you accept Christ as Savior, and he has made us alive together, according to Ephesians chapter 2, then the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in your life. And if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. There's, let me say this. There is no other way to receive the Holy Spirit apart from being born again? None. The day you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit. It didn't require any action on your part. There wasn't anything that you had to do to get it. You didn't have to pray for the Holy Spirit. Now again, people sometimes misunderstand how the Holy Spirit works and, um, and false religions and false versions of Christianity have been built around a misunderstanding and a misapplication of the Holy Spirit. We see in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God re dwelt in the temple, in the tabernacle, while the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. God would also give his Spirit to certain people for certain jobs and vocations that they did. For example, when Saul was king over Israel, God sent him the Holy Spirit to give him wisdom and discernment to be able to lead the children of Israel. When Saul sinned against God, God took his Holy Spirit from Saul and actually sent unto Saul an evil spirit instead. When we get to the book of Acts, Jesus tells the apostles to wait there in Jerusalem until he sends the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give them the ability to go out and be witnesses of him. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me. And so the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts to these apostles who now go out and do the work of the gospel. We see on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and sat on top of these men as they preached the gospel in a language that was unknown to them, but every man heard in his own language. And so here we see in the, uh, the book of Acts chapter 2, a supernatural moving of the Holy Spirit. As we begin to, to walk through the book of Acts in this transitionary book where we're transitioning from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, we see uh, the, the Holy Spirit sometimes differs in the way that it's given. For example, we see the Holy Spirit given uh, as Peter lays hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit. And then there was a magician that came and says, hey, that gift of the Holy Spirit, how much does that cost? I'd be happy to pay for that to be able to give that to people. And we see from that point on throughout the book of Acts, nobody ever laid hands on anybody ever again to receive the Holy Spirit. And then we get to the book of Romans, we get to the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul basically says, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. 
So Paul writes to the church of Corinth and says, hey guys, you have the Holy Spirit in you. No longer is the Spirit of God dwelling in the temple in Jerusalem. Now the Spirit of God dwells in you and you are the temple of the Holy Ghost now. We don't need a building to hold God's Spirit. Now every single one of you have that Holy Spirit inside of you. Now again, the Holy Spirit wasn't reserved for like super Christians or people who were really spiritual or only the best of the best Christians because the church of Corinth was corrupt with a capital C. It was awful. There was all types of sin and wickedness going through the the church of Corinth. and That's why Paul challenged them. Hey guys, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Don't defile your temple because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Book of Romans chapter 8, which we'll get to in a couple of years. Um, just seeing if you're awake. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9 says this. Get this. It's in your notes. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. This is critical. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's really important because it says this. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to God. So, This makes things ridiculously black and white clear for us. If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. If you are not saved, you do not have the Holy Spirit. Really clear. And the the opposite is true as well. If you have the Holy Spirit, it's only because you're saved. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you are not saved. Now, Now, you say, well, Pastor, why are you making such a big deal about that? Because there are so-called versions of Christianity that teach that you get saved and then sometime later you'll get the Holy Spirit. Or you got saved and we need to gather around you and pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's not biblical teaching. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's only reason, one reason why. It's because you are not saved. So I don't have to pray for you to get the Holy Spirit. I, I need to pray that you'll get saved And if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And again, these so-called versions of Christianity say things like as well, is if you have the Holy Spirit, then it will be evidenced in supernatural sign gifts of primarily speaking in tongues. And if you can't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And again, that's not biblical either. We just saw in in Galatians chapter 5, what's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? It's not tongues, signs, miracles, and wonders. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And so again, it's important to understand if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we have to make sure that we have the Holy Spirit. You need to make sure that you're saved. Friend, you can't be spiritual if you are not saved. You can't walk in the Spirit if you do not have the Spirit. When I say spirit, I'm talking capital S spirit, walk in the Holy Spirit. And so you need to make sure that you're saved. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're, you've been born again, not sure that you're saved or on your way to heaven, let today be that day of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. For those of us that have been saved, the Spirit of God lives with inside of you. You have every tool at your disposal to do what needs to be done this year and every other year until we get to see Jesus face to face. You have the promises of God at your disposal. You have the Spirit of God living inside you. You have the people of God surrounding you. You have no excuse. We have what it takes to walk in the Spirit. But... 
It's not as easy as it sounds because walking in the Spirit requires you to kill your flesh. Take a look at verse number 17 in our text this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 17. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. So Paul tells us in verse number 17 that inside of every single one of us is that old, carnal, sinful person and residing in every Christian is also the Spirit of God and they fight against one another. Some of you have already experienced that fight already this year. Your alarm clock went off this morning and you said, man, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Man, I could totally watch this online at 10 o'clock. Hey, I could catch the podcast this week. Hey, I'll go next Sunday. Hey, they got a 5 o'clock service, right? That'll give me the opportunity to get rested up. And your flesh fought against your spirit. But I hope, in this case, your spirit worn out, won out and you said, hey, I need to be in church with God's people this morning. First day of the year, I don't want to mess it up. And your spirit says, I need to be with God's people today. At some point today, you'll be tempted to sin. And your flesh is going to say, you deserve it, take a break. You know, you've been so good in so many other areas, you can indulge in this area. And your flesh will fight against your spirit. Which one wins? I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you the one that you feed the most. If you have a steady diet of six hours of Netflix a night, listening to worldly music all week, surrounding yourself by carnal unbelievers all week long, and then you come and try to get a little bit of Jesus on a Sunday morning, I'm telling you which one is going to win out this week. Because one is strong and the other one is very, very weak. But if I condition myself spiritually... And I cut out the things that are not serving me well from a spiritual perspective. I'm not watching garbage entertainment, listening to garbage music, spending time with people that fill my head full of garbage, or spending my time with other Christians who are going the same direction that I am. I'm spending my time with other people who have the same priorities that I do. Man, uh, somebody said to me uh, yesterday, I was talking to a friend, he said, Pastor, don't ever cancel everything for the rest of the week ever again. He was like, from Sunday morning to Sunday morning is so long without being in church or being in a small group or getting together with other Christians. Like, it just felt like forever. And I was like, yeah, right? And, and here's the thing. Some of you, you don't, you don't even know what that feels like because you're just like a, a Sunday to Sunday or a Sunday to every other Sunday. But for those that are here on man, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, you know, a Tuesday night group, a Wednesday night group, a Friday night group, a Saturday morning for outreach. Man, like, this is the, what their life consists of. They've built their life with Christ at the center. Man, that makes it a lot easier to walk in the Spirit because my flesh is going to be easier to kill. Also, when my flesh rears its ugly head... If I'm being spiritual and I'm walking in the Spirit, I become very dissatisfied with my own shortcomings. I begin to have a deep-seated hatred for my own sin. 
oh, I can't believe I did that again. I cannot believe I lost my temper. I feel terrible. Man, God, would you forgive me for that? God, would you help me to walk in the Spirit? Hey, hey, friend, could you forgive me for what I said? I shouldn't have lashed out that way. Man, my anger got the best of me. Would you forgive me? Man, that's walking in the Spirit. We began to be very dissatisfied with our own sin. But when we're in the flesh, it's like, bah, somebody needed to take that guy down a notch. Somebody needed to tell her what's up. I just needed to say my piece and get that off my chest. Yeah, you know, maybe I didn't uh, say it the nicest way, but the truth hurts sometimes, right? It's just like, uh, that's making excuses for my own sin. One of my things that I, that I hate to hear people say is like, you know, I just kind of, I'm a straight shooter. I tell it like it is. I just got no filter. I just like say what's on my mind. It just comes out and it is what it is. That's not a positive virtue. Because here's what the Bible says. A fool uttereth all his mind. But a wise man thinketh on a thing and holds his tongue. That's what the Bible says. And so when you, when you hear somebody say something like that, like, yeah, I just call them like I see them, you know, no filter, just get it out there. You just admitted to everyone who knows anything that you are a fool and you are not wise. And, and people wear that like as a badge of honor. That's not a good thing. But again, when I'm feeding my flesh and I'm starving my spirit, these things sound plausible. But fulfilling our flesh and walking in the spirit are at opposite ends of the spectrum. You can't do both at the same time. So I can either fulfill my flesh or I can walk in the spirit, but I can't do both at the same time because verse number 17 says these lust against each other. They fight against one another. Paul goes so far in the book of Romans to say like, I know what I'm supposed to do and I can't do it. And I know the things that I shouldn't be doing and those are the things that I, that I do. Like inside of me is this conflict and so many times people get so down on themselves as Christians like, oh my goodness, you know, uh, I've fallen into sin again, I did this, I can't believe it, you know, I'm a terrible Christian. No, 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 no. If you are willingly giving yourself over to your sin, you need to cut that out. But if you make a mistake and you fall, you need to get up, dust yourself off, repent and move on. Failure in sin is not something to wallow in or feel guilty for or to carry the shame for. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repent and move on, man. But if walking in the spirit is over here, feeding my flesh is gonna be over here. And I gotta pick a side. I gotta choose where my heart goes. Romans chapter eight, verse number five, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So which do you want? Death, destruction, chaos, or do you want life and peace? Here's, here's, here's the crazy part about it. The choice is totally up to you. You get to pick what you want. Now, of course, no one would choose death, destruction, and chaos. But when you choose to walk in the flesh, that's precisely what you're choosing because it does not end well. 
James tells us, every man sins when he's drawn away of his own lust. And when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death 100% of the time. There's no other end result of that. You chase after sin, it's going to end poorly, guaranteed. It's not a matter of if it's going to. It's a matter of when it does because it's promised. That's the only end result that you get. The Bible tells us, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. God is not mock. Again, very simple. If I plant corn, what am I going to harvest? Somebody help me. Not a trick question. If I plant a watermelon seed, what am I going to harvest? Now imagine this. I plant corn, and I go out like six weeks later and go, oh, man, I was hoping I was going to get some watermelon out of this crop. You'd be like, no, no, no. If you wanted watermelon, you should have planted watermelon seeds. If you want God's spiritual blessings, you need to plant spiritual seeds. But we plant carnal seeds, and then when we want spiritual blessings, it doesn't work that way. We plant carnal seeds, and then we realize we made a mistake, and then we pray for a crop failure, right? I don't don't want the fruit of what I've actually planted. But the Bible tells us you can either walk in the Spirit or you can fulfill your flesh, but you can't do both. And so if you say this year, 2023 is the year I want to walk in the Spirit, understand what that means, You're going to have to die to yourself because dying to self and daily killing of our flesh is the only path to spiritual fruitfulness. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verse number 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, Paul has a really interesting wordplay here, if you will. He's talking about death and life, flesh versus spirit. Flesh being death, spirit being life. But here's what he says. If you want to live in the spirit, you have to kill the deeds of your flesh. That word mortify means to kill or to put to death. You got to kill your flesh if you're willing to allow your spirit to live. And so you and I have to examine our lives and say, hey, where has my flesh gotten out of control? Man, for me this past week, uh, I, I took the past week off and I did absolutely nothing this whole last week. It was awesome. Uh, I can't remember the last time I just got up whenever, went to bed whenever, ate whatever, sat around and did absolutely nothing. I responded, I think, two emails this week that were crisis situations. I had zero appointments from Monday through Friday. I, I barely, you know, even looked at my phone. It was glorious. And we talked about, man, six months ago, Angel was like, hey, that week between Christmas and, and New Year's, doing a go on a trip somewhere. I was just like, absolutely not. No travel. I mean, thankful to see what happened with all the air travel. So I'm glad we didn't travel. My goodness, what a mess. But I just want to wake up at 9 o'clock, eat Pop-Tarts for breakfast, 
eat cake for lunch, have a bowl of ice cream for dinner, watch like five episodes of To Catch a Smuggler on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it's like border crossing, border patrol, where they're like going through people's luggage and cutting out hidden compartments and finding, you know, shipments of heroin. It's fascinating, right? There's no sex. There's no violence. There's no, you know, foul language. It's just good old-fashioned drug smuggling. (laughs) I'm thinking through that in my mind. I was like, I don't know if that's wholesome, maybe? Uh, But um, anyways, just sit and watch, like, show. uh, Next episode, click. Next episode, click. Like, I just keep going. Man, I don't remember the last time I did that. I just don't. And I did it for five days straight. And it felt good, and no lie. At the end of Friday... I was recharged, probably six pounds heavier, um, but really just, I mean, Saturday morning ready to get after it. My alarm clock went off at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning. I was up and gone, man. It felt good. But I, what I did for those five days is like five days out of 365. I can't live my life that way. Why? Because I'm feeding my flesh. Now, again, we, everybody needs the opportunity to rest and recharge. And that's what this week was. It was a planned time of rest and recharge. It was not a lifestyle of slothfulness, laziness, poor stewardship, uh, and wasting the things that God's given. Because you can't live life like that. And Saturday morning, my alarm clock went off at 5. I didn't even hit snooze. I got up and got after it. Because, again, I have things that need to be accomplished. I made myself a, a steak and rice for, for lunch that day. I had protein and a carb. Look at me, you know, trying to be healthy. Uh, no more sweets, no more sugar, no more candy. I got to get back to regular life. Why? Because my flesh will run the show if I allow it. Now, you might be sitting here thinking to yourself like, oh my goodness, pastor's lecturing us about our diet, eating too many sweets and stuff like that. Here's the thing. I'm just going to help you with this. If you make provision for your flesh in one area of your life, it has the capability to bleed over into every area of your life. Be careful with that. Because when we become to be, I'll use the word duplicitous, in our lives, well, I'm really, really, you know, super disciplined in this area, totally not disciplined in this other area of my life. Here's what the Bible says. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Man, if I can't keep my diet and food and nutrition plan under control, if I can't take care of getting a good night's sleep because I can't put down my phone or put down a tablet or put down a television show, probably not being disciplined in my finances either, wasting my time, wasting my money, wasting my life, one 24-hour clock at a time. I can't live like that. So I have to at some point say, I want to feed my spirit and I have to starve my flesh. <laughs> my, my daily routine basically consists of up at 5 a.m., spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, uh, go to the gym, exercise, workout, come back, eat breakfast, get after it, whatever I got to do for the day. That's just my routine. I thrive on routine. People sometimes say, well, I'm not an early riser like you. I don't enjoy getting up. I never said I enjoyed it. I hate it with every fiber of my being. Uh, I, I love to sleep till like 9 a.m. That is awesome. 
but I have to at some point kill my flesh because my spirit has things that need to be accomplished. I need to get up and spend time with God early in the morning when everything's quiet, when nobody's calling me on the phone, when nobody's, you know, sending me emails, expecting a response right away, when my kids aren't, you know, pulling on my shirt and asking me to do stuff. I got to get that time with God early in the morning, and the only place I can carve it out is 5 a.m. Now, people in our church have figured out that 5 a.m. is my normal wake-up time, so they'll send me text messages at like 5.15. Come on, folks. Um, give me till like 6. Uh, I'll, I'll totally listen. But, um, but seriously, like, I've got to be willing to starve my flesh to feed my spirit. And what that usually means is if I'm getting up at 5 a.m., I'm probably going to bed by like 9 o'clock, which is totally like old people stuff, right? And so I, I used to be no lie, get to bed about 2, 3 a.m., wake up around 7 a.m. and just go. Um, I can't live like that anymore. I have things that I want to accomplish for the cause of Christ. I have things that I need to steward in my life. And because of that, I have to kill my flesh. I have to set aside what I want to do, what I want to accomplish, my own hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations. I have to submit to the authority of Christ in my life. And you might say, well, that's really good for you, Pastor. You know, I'm thankful that we have a pastor who's disciplined and wants to walk in the Spirit. No, no, no. Denying yourself is a requirement of any true follower of Jesus. Everybody. This is not a pastoral good idea. This is a requirement for everyone who follows Jesus. We take discipleship very, very seriously here at Who We Call It. We not only have a 14-week discipleship program, we also have a follow-on program where we have people getting together and mentoring other people and helping other people grow in their walk. And I'm always giving out books and resources and tools. We have men's leadership nights where we talk about how to be solid Christian guys, and I'll usually give out a book for that. We have a ladies' events where we talk about being godly Christian women and, and just tons of resources to help you to walk with Jesus because discipleship is super important. Now, sometimes over the course of discipleship, especially our 14-week program that we have, sometimes people are kind of flipping about it. They won't show up to church, and they'll miss a couple of discipleship meetings, and they forgot their book at home, they didn't do their homework, and they're not memorizing their verses. People come to me and say, hey, pastor, what, what should we do? Tell these people that you're going to put discipleship on pause while they get their life in order, and when they decide they want to walk with Jesus, they can come back and resume the program. You say, well, that sounds really harsh telling people to like get their life together. <laughs> Here's what Jesus says. If any man will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Which one of those three sounds easy to you? Which one of those three sounds comfortable to you? Which one of those three makes you feel like you can pursue Christ on your own terms whenever you want, however you want, at whatever level you feel comfortable in? None of that. All of that is a, a call to self-sacrifice. And, and really when it comes down to it, life is really a matter of priorities. What's important to you? If pursuing Christ is important to you, I have no problem denying my flesh. I have no problem saying like, hey, I won't watch TV again for the rest of the year if I don't have to, if it means pursuing Christ. Now, again, I'm not saying that watching television is sinful. I know for me, though, it's a time sucker. It sucks my life away if I allow it. I'll say, oh, I'm too busy to do this, too busy to do that. I don't have time to, uh, you know, spend time with my kids or spend time with my wife the way that I want to. But I'll sit down and watch, you know, three hours in a row of a television show. Like, that doesn't even make sense. So for me, I just have to say, I can't do it. I have to set that to the side because I have greater priorities in my life. 
And people sometimes say, oh, Pastor, you know, I wish I could tithe. I can't afford to tithe. You probably can't afford to tithe because you have an $800 a month truck payment that is a priority over the things of God. So again, it's not a matter of like can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. When it comes to walking in the Spirit and pursuing Christ this year, it's not a matter of if you can or you can't. It's a matter of if you will or you won't. And so I challenge you to choose Christ this year. Again, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus says, if you're willing to give up your fleshly carnal life, I'll show you what life is really about. But if you want to hang on to the things of this world, you'll never truly experience the life that I wanted for you. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 24, it's in our text this morning that we read. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with their affections and lusts. So again, putting your flesh to death is just an expected Christian thing to do. Walking in the Spirit. Well, again, I offer that to you as your resolution for this year, to resolve to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to be really honest with you. That wasn't an option It's not like a, hey, if you want to do something really cool this year, you should totally try to walk in the Spirit. It's a commandment. And if you don't walk in the Spirit today, tomorrow, next week, this year, it's not just like, oh, that's a bummer I really wish you had of. You're a disobedient Christian who is living in sin. So again, not really an option, more of a commandment. But here's why that's so important for you and I, because walking in the Spirit yields the fruit of the Spirit. You see, you and I try to find things the wrong way, and then we're disappointed with what we get. People think that they can find true love on an app. They think that they can find joy in pornography. They think they can find peace in a 10-acre piece of land in Texas. They think that they can find goodness by doing kind acts once a year at Christmas time. You're looking for the things that your heart craves in the wrong place. You will never know love apart from the love that God gives You'll never know love apart from the love of Jesus. You'll never know joy apart from the joy that comes from abiding in Jesus Christ. You just can't find an appropriate substitute for this. It's always funny to me. People try to make like healthy brownies and healthy cookies and stuff like this. Like just stop it. Like just stop. Nobody wants your raisin oatmeal cookies. We want chocolate chip cookies with extra chocolate chips. I'm just telling you. Nobody wants your brownies made with applesauce. Put eggs and flour in it like normal people do, okay? Stop. Nobody wants fake love. 
You want the real thing. Where does that come? It comes from walking in the Spirit. If you got the, the notes handout, there's seven blanks there. I want you to write them down because I want you to see them with your own eyeballs. Love. Love. The willingness to put other people above yourself as an act of service. Not an emotion, not a feeling, but a choice that you make to esteem other people higher than yourself. Joy, happiness based on spiritual realities. You and I try to be happy. Whatever you got for Christmas isn't gonna last very long. But joy, that lasts forever. Joy doesn't matter your circumstances. Joy isn't predicated on your circumstances. It's based on who Jesus is. Peace. Peace is not the absence of trials. Peace is a deep stillness in the depths of your soul, knowing that God is in charge of your circumstances and situation. Peace isn't the absence of a storm. Peace is knowing who holds the storm. Long-suffering, depending on your English translation of the Bible, you might have the word patience there. Pet peeve of mine, I don't like the word patience. Patience means like, hurry up, I don't want to wait. Long-suffering is the ability to suffer long. I'm willing to allow myself to go through a difficult time with maybe a difficult person because I know that God's in charge. I'm going to ask God for grace day by day to be willing to suffer long. Hey, my marriage hasn't been what I want it to be, but I'm willing to allow God the space to be able to do something great, and I'm going to trust in him in the meantime. Gentleness is kindness. It's tenderness. And somewhere along the way, it became uncool for guys to be gentle. Hey, look, I want you to have calluses on your hands. Hey, I think it's important that guys know how to change the oil in their car and stuff like that. That's fine. But if you can't be gentle, you're missing out. Think about it this way. Jesus was not a sissy man. Jesus' father was a carpenter, so he more than likely was also a carpenter until he started his earthly ministry. They didn't have a Home Depot where he could just go pick up a load of lumber, do, was probably cutting down trees and, and making stuff with it. He was, a, he was a, a tough dude. But when Jesus sat down, kids didn't cower behind trees and like look out the side to see if he was mad. Kids ran to him. You know why? Because he was gentle. He was kind. He was endearing. I was talking to some folks a couple of weeks ago. My wife tells me that I have an angry resting face. Uh, she tells me that I'm unapproachable. She says, you know, you have these deep-seated deep seated eyes, you know, deep eye sockets. And you have this scowl look on your face when you're, you're not smiling. You're a big guy. You have a big beard. got a rough voice. People are scared of you. But that hurts my heart. Like, I don't want anybody to be scared of me. So... I try to, because I know this, my wife told one time we had our family photos done, you know, and you're supposed to do like the no smile look, you know, where you just kind of like smolder and like look into the depths of the, the lens. I just looked like I was super ticked off. Like I look like I'm getting ready to rip somebody's head off. It wasn't like the like, ooh, that's like the serious pose. I was like, what's he so mad about? Like it's family photos, but smile, dude. And so um, because I know that about myself, I purposely try to be more gentle. I try to smile more. Like if I'm sitting in a room, I'll like. 
And I kind of feel weird like I'm a dope. Like, but like, I, I just don't want to look angry. Why? Because I want to be approachable. I want people to feel like they can talk to me. Man, when kids leave on church on a Sunday morning, I try to high-five every single kid that comes by because I want them to know, like, hey, I'm approachable. Hey, I want to be gentle. doesn't mean I'm a sissy or a wimp or anything like that. It means that I want to be Christ-like. Goodness is the idea that I'm purposely doing good. I'm looking for opportunities to show goodness, kindness, love, mercy, grace. I'm constantly on the lookout for ways to be intentionally good to other people. The word faith here could also be translated faithfulness. Not only do I believe God and trust God, I'm consistent. I'm a person of my word. I have integrity. I'm faithful. And so I'm supposed to be somewhere. You can count on me that I'm there. Meekness. Meekness is strength under control. This means I have a really good comeback for what you said, but I'm just going to put it in my back pocket because I don't need it. I could totally embarrass you, shut you down, make you look bad, make myself look good, but I purposely choose not to. I could win in this situation, but I don't need to win. Who embodied that? Jesus Christ. You take every single time the Pharisees came to him with dumb questions, trying to make him look like a fool. He had everything in the world that he could use to light those guys up. But he didn't. He was gracious. He was kind. And the last one, temperance. This is self-control. This is the ability for me to be able to manage my emotions my flesh, my cravings. For, for me, again, just being transparent with you, there was a time in my life where my God was food. I thought about every single meal, what I'm going to have for, for lunch, what I'm going to have for dessert, what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. If I have this for lunch today, I can have this for dinner tonight. And I had a good day. I wanted to celebrate by, hey, let's all go out to dinner, and I'm going to order appetizer, a meal, and dessert, and eat whatever you have left over on your plate too. If I have a bad day, man, it's a terrible day. Let's, we should totally order pizza tonight. And I used that as a way to, I don't know, give some false sense of peace in my soul. And here's the crazy thing about certain sins that you indulge in. God exposes them. God exposed my sin by allowing me to get up to 300 plus pounds. It was very clear who my God was at that point. And that temperance wasn't there in my life because I wasn't walking in the spirit. I was walking in my flesh. Take someone who can't control their emotions, someone who gets angry quickly. The Bible says a man who doesn't have control over his own spirits, like a city with broken down walls, insecure, no defenses, easily attacked. Man, I, I can't allow that in my life. I have to walk in temperance and self-control. I can't be the person who's constantly mad, constantly angry. Now, again, you might be like me, and you say, well, that's not me by nature, of course. These aren't the fruit of your flesh. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. The whole idea is none of this you can produce on your own. All of it requires the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And so all of this list, you take a look at all these things. Who embodies these perfectly to a T 100% of the time? 
Only one person, Christ and Christ alone. So walking in the Spirit really just produces Christ-likeness. Walking in the Spirit just helps me be more like Jesus. This is not me just trying harder or doing better. This is me allowing the Holy Spirit to work inside of me. This is not me having 150 action items that go towards my 45 goals that I have this year. This is me allowing God's spirit to work in me and through me. As I recognize my flesh at work in my life, I cut it off. I put it to death. I wake up every single morning. I pray and submit myself to God. I confess my sin before God. I ask God to keep me back from pride and anger and selfishness and all those things daily putting my flesh to death so that I can walk in the Spirit. This is me when I realize that I've gotten off track, being quick to repent, quick to ask for forgiveness, because I just want to be like Jesus. That's what I want for you this, this year. Look, every single time I sit down in marriage counseling with a couple, every single time, the answer is always the same hey, I really just need you to walk in the Spirit here. He's mistreated me. He's neglected me for years. Okay, I just need you to be a little bit more long-suffering and love him anyways. Hey, she's really harsh. She's really mean to me. Hey, why don't you be long-suffering and you get to work on gentleness and goodness? Again, 100% of marriage problems are fixed by walking in the Spirit. 100% of your sin problems and mine. Oh, this, this sin's got my number, and I just keep man, going back to it again and again and again. Good. Remember verse 17 in Galatians 5. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of your flesh. That's what I want for you. So, again, I hope you got some goals this year. I hope you're working towards them for sure. But there's one thing that you need to keep at the forefront of your mind in 2023 and every year until Jesus comes is this, walk in the Spirit. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.